And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, team. You know, there was a, a Sunday school teacher who was teaching a ninth grade, uh, nine-year-olds, and um, she asked a question to these nine-year-olds, and she said, um, how come we say God is in heaven, but He's also everywhere? We pray, our Father, in heaven. How come? Well, a smart nine-year-old said, teacher, don't you understand? Heaven is only His headquarters. <laughs> well, heaven is His headquarters. And it is that headquarters of God that I want to talk to you about today. In the last uh, message we started, we began a series of messages from Jesus' blueprint, His blueprint for prayer, for us to pray. Uh, erroneously, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It is not. And I mentioned that the Lord's Prayer is in John 17. But this is the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer that we pray. It's the framework that Jesus gave us, and He said, now when you pray, follow this pattern. And we saw in the last message the incredible, amazing privilege that we can call the Creator God, the God of power and might, our Father. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. But the troubling thing about heaven, um, at least for me anyway, is the utter and unmitigated confusion about heaven. Hollywood, of course, consistently provided us with movies and shows that convinces people that everyone, when they die, they all go to heaven. And then even when their projection of heaven is more of a make-believe or, or, or kind of a fantasy land than real biblical heaven. On the other hand, Muslim extremists have this diabolical notion of heaven that if they kill enough infidels, if they kill enough infidels for Allah, for their God, that they will end up in paradise. And even the description of paradise for them is more like a brothel than a heavenly kingdom. Even some professing Christians who seldom think about heaven. If you ask them, you die, these are churchgoers, would you go to heaven? They'll say, I hope so, because I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. Even Bible-believing disciples of Jesus, very seldom do they think about heaven. Only if a loved one dies, they begin to think about heaven for a few weeks, and then they forget all about it. There are very few people who want to know everything about heaven where they're going to be spending all of their eternity, let alone make plans for that long, long time stay. There are some who take more time planning their vacation than planning where they will be spending their eternity. There are others, uh, I am not one of them, just I warn you ahead of time, who take time and plan for their retirement, few years as they are. 
As I said, I'm not one of those. I'm making no plans. I'm going to go straight from the pulpit to heaven. (laughs) But they make no plans for where they'll be spending their forever. Make no mistake about it. Heaven is a place. It's not a figment of imagination, and it's not just a nice thought. It is a place. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and then I'll come back and take you with me. It is a physical place He's talking about. It is a a physical location that He's talking about. It is a place where all of Jesus' departed disciples, believers, are there right now in glorified bodies, as we sang about. That place is that Jesus is preparing for us is the Father's headquarters, as the little girl said. John the Revelator, his description of that place is breathtaking. It's breathtaking, to say the least. Now, beloved, please listen to me. Studying of heaven, planning for heaven, focusing on heaven should be, should be motives for us to live every day in this life with heaven in mind. And this is not heaven, is, and, and the return of Christ is not something for old fogies like me just talk about. It's for everybody, whether you're 6, 16, or 26, or 66. The apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, I'm going to throw some verses on you today, and usually I try not to do that, but today you're going to get a lot of verses. Write them down. In chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 13, he tells us, we live godly and holy lives now. Why? Because we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Can I get an amen? Amen. In his book, Mere Christianity, if you've never read the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, you need to read it. In his book, he explain uh, this absolute certainty of the future of believers in heaven. And he says it should motivate us to live boldly for Christ in this life. Uh, He said, in effect, continuously looking forward to to our eternal home is not a form of escapism, as some people would blame us uh, or a wishful thinking. No, no, it is, it's what Christians meant to do. And then he warns us, in effect, he warns us that the Christians who think the least about heaven as their eternal home are the very ones who become ineffective in this life. Listen to me. One of the great tragedies of our modern church is that seldom they preach on heaven. Just check me out on that. They preach on every conceivable subject, relationships, and this and that and the other thing, everything they talk about, except the very place where believers are going to be spending their forever. Are you with me? And yet the Bible mentions heaven 500 times. In the book of Revelation alone is mentioned 50 times. Now, beloved, here is an observation on my part. So, 
Whenever I tell you it's an observation, those of you who are visiting, you do not know this, but the congregation here knows this. When I say it's observation on my part, it's take it or leave it. It's not thus says the Lord. I am personally convinced the more we focus our attention only on this life, only on this life, bestseller, running away bestseller book called Your Best Life is Now. And if you don't know Jesus, he's right. Your best life is now. If you know Jesus, this is your worst. The more we focus our attention on this life, the more meaningless this life becomes. I'm speaking from firsthand experience. I'm, I'm testifying to you. This personal experience. The more I focus on heaven, the greater my effectiveness and my, the effectiveness of my ministry around the world. It's absolutely my testimony. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, He said, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. A lot of preachers reverse that. And I don't know why they do this. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. Where your treasure, there's your heart. If you treasure whatever you treasure is, we all treasure different things. Whatever your treasure is, uh, if all your treasures, uh, if they're not in heaven, your heart is not in heaven either. Not only that, but focusing on heaven produces godly characteristics in us in this life. Uh, here and now, a focus on heaven brings us joy and comfort in the midst of trials. Uh, focusing on heaven places our earthly pain, all of our earthly sufferings, all of even persecution into eternal perspective. A focus on heaven empowers us to live in victory here and now over temptation and sin. Why else did our Lord Jesus Christ teach us to pray? Our Father, where? Our Father, where? In heaven. He wants to elevate our vision. He wants to elevate our sights to where our Father is and where we're going to be for all of eternity. If you only comprehend this amazement, this amazing place called heaven, you're going to find everything in your life is going to be transformed. Everything in your life. As the little girl said, it is the Father's headquarters. John Revelation reveals to us that the throne of God is that fixed center of the universe. I, 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 I want to disabuse you of the thought. If you think he's talking about, when he talks about the throne, he's talking about a piece of furniture where the royals sit on and it's called the throne. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a piece of furniture. <laughs> he is talking about that immovable point of reference for all time and space, that immovable reference. It's like the North Star that guides navigators on their voyage. 
It is the hub around which the entire universe revolves. That's what he means by the throne of God. But I get ahead of myself. I, t- I tend to do that. I'm sorry. I tend to get ahead of myself. I get carried away. So let me first tell you what the Bible says about heaven, okay? And then I'm going to get to my sermon. <laughs> I want to tell you that the Bible speaks about three heavens. Not one, three. I'm going to show you from the Scripture. It's not, I'm not making it up. I'm not that smart. <laughs> the first heaven described in the Bible, you're going to be surprised to some of you, the first heaven, that's not where God is. The first heaven is the domain of Satan, where Satan and his demons reside. The first heaven, we see that clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It's a very familiar verse. Uh, We often repeat it, you know, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. And here it comes. In the heavenly realms. That's the first heaven. In fact, I want to make me, just promise me, when you go home, I want you to reflect on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It's really going to transform your life. It's, it's, it's a, one of my incredible anchors. The Apostle Paul is telling us in that one verse that our faithfulness to God, <clears throat> our faithfulness to God, demonstrate to Satan. Yes, 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 to Satan. Our faithfulness to God demonstrate to Satan and all of his demons <laughs> um, that God is true and just. That God's judgment against Satan and all of his demons are wise and right. And when you really focus on this, when he focuses this, you will never take your faithfulness for granted again. You will never think that, well, your faithfulness is either take it or leave it. No, no, no. The first heaven is the visible domain that's all around us. Remember, I talked to you a while back on the invisible war, the invisible war that's taking place. That's in the first heaven is taking place that we cannot see with our physical eyes, with the angels and demons and, and, and spiritual uh, uh, creatures. It is the realm of spiritual powers, evil and good. It's the realm where the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia that we read about in Daniel chapter 9, dwell. It is the realm of the demonic kings and who have authorities over nations and kingdom of the earth. That's where they are. And my beloved friends, what follows? Well, I'm going to tell you it's another one of those Yusuf things. That's my absolute conviction. that these forces are being unleashed on American cities like we have never seen in our lifetimes. The second heaven. Bible speaks of the universe of the celestial heaven. The celestial heaven. When you look up in the sky at night and you see all the stars, and, 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 or if you look at a picture that is taken by the Hubble telescope, and you're looking at the second heaven. 
<clears throat> but then the Bible also talks about the third heaven. It is the place that referred to in the Scripture as paradise. Paradise. This is what that little girl describing as God's headquarters. <laughs> this is the place that Jesus promised the repentant sinner on his side on the cross when he hung on that cross in Luke 23, 43. This is the place that he promised that repentant sinner. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, this third heaven is where the apostle Paul was privileged to be taken and caught up into it, and he saw it with his own eyes. Paul said he heard some inexplicable things in that third heaven, things that he is not permitted to talk about. I find some humor in this because I always put myself in, in Paul's place. If I get caught into the, seventh heaven, in the third heaven and I see these things and then I'm told, you can't talk about it? Man, I'll be dying. I, say, oh, I want to tell everyone. No, no, no. So much for those people who die and go to heaven and come back. Don't believe a word they say. Paul said what he saw is not permitted. Well, I just said the sense of frustration. I want to tell everyone about this incredible place in the third heaven. It's indescribable wonder of paradise, but it's forbidden to talk about it. Now, beloved, this third heaven, this third heaven, this paradise is where all the Christian believers go when they die. That's where they are. That third heaven is where Jesus is right now. Uh, now, I want you to fasten your seatbelt, okay? Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Let me see you. How are you going to do it? Fasten your seatbelt because I'm going to tell you this is not the new heaven that Jesus promised us. It's not. When the new heaven comes, the old heaven is going to be rolled away. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer sea. Ever thought about that? We live on this, we'll call it earth, and yet it's three-quarters water. And when they go and explore planets, they want to make sure there's water there because you can't survive without water. But I got news for you. In the new heaven, we don't need water. We're going to be in glorified bodies. Listen to me. This third heaven, fantastic as it has been described by John, and yet it's not even close, not even close, it, it, it is as indescribable as the new heaven that we will be in when Christ returns. Something else I need to tell you about the third heaven before I get to my sermon. I know some of you are getting scared. That's okay. That's called sanctified scaring. <laughs> you know those believers who have died and went ahead of us who are in the third heaven, who are in that third heaven now? My goodness, I have, I have so many friends and so many family members in that heaven. But I want to tell you, all of them, all of them, your loved ones who have gone to glory, every one of them <laughs> will be escorted 
into the new heaven by Jesus when he returns. I've been giving so many interviews about my new book, and I can't remember who I said what to whom. It's about average eight or nine a week. But this lady was saying to me, she said, what's that cloud that he's coming back with the cloud? It's going to be a cloudy day. I said, no. In Hebrew, the word cloud means people, large number of people, masses and masses of people. That's why Hebrews 11 says, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And then he goes on to say, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, by faith, by faith. These are all witnesses and saying to us, we did it, you can do it too. Amen. The third heaven, where our Lord Jesus Christ right now, our great high priest, is constantly interceding for us with the Father. And that is why he wants us every time we pray, our Father, my Father who's in heaven, every time you utter those words, you want to express your gratitude and thanksgiving to Jesus, for he is the one meditating, mediating between us and the Father. And 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely. He's able to save how many? Completely. Those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede on their behalf. Praise God. You know, in the last message, in the last message I mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, that the Lord's Prayer really is that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, not what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. And there we see Jesus, when you read John 17 when you get a chance, just read slowly, read it carefully, because our Lord Jesus drew the curtain, as I mentioned last week, He drew the curtain to show us how he intercedes for us in John 17. and verse 20 particularly, he said, my prayer is not just for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. He's, talking about, he's praying for them, for the disciples. But he said, my prayer is not just for them alone, verse 20. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That is you and you and you and you and you, praise God. Beloved, this is thrilling beyond measure for me. All the years, 57, 58 years I've been walking with the Lord, it is absolutely thrilling that before Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, he was interceding for us. That after he gave his life on the cross and rose again, he's interceding for us in heaven right now with the Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ interceding for you today, right now, as you're sitting right here. And so when we pray, our Father in heaven, we are expressing deep gratitude to Jesus. Deep gratitude for what he has done and made it possible for us to even call his Father our Father. You know, I love children. 
I think it's a known secret. I, love, I, I, I just love and adore children, and, and I always love to listen to them and, 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 and see how sometimes they get things kind of misunderstood, some words, and I've done that when I was a little boy. I used to think a certain hymn, I'm not going to tell you which one, but I had it all muddled because I thought the words mean something else. And uh, this little girl who was going with her grandma Sunday after Sunday to one of those, you know, uh, interesting churches, uh, and they pray what we call the Lord's Prayer, and they prayed in the Elizabethan English, Our Father, which art in heaven. And this girl, a few Sundays, kept listening to this, Our Father, which art in heaven. She turned it to her grandma, and she said, Grandma, who's this guy, Art? (laughs) I don't blame her. I don't know who Art is either. (laughs) And I don't know if he's in heaven. But I want to tell you, now I'll get to my message. I want to tell you nine things, nine blessings of heaven, nine. Yeah, some of you got used to my preaching three-point sermon. This is nine-point sermon. I hope you have a protein bar with you. (laughs) I'm going to surprise you. In fact, I'm going to move so fast that if you're writing them down, you're going to have to download it from the website. Blessing number one, no more temptation. When we get to heaven, no more temptation. Once we get to heaven, we're going to be free, free from Satan's assaults, free from struggles against pressure and temptation, free from all the fiery darts that he's constantly sending our way, free from Satan's attack on our relationship with each other, free from suspicion and resentment and misunderstanding. We're going to be free from temptation. Second, blessing of heaven. No more loss. No more loss. Our earthly life is blighted with changes and losses. The people we love are taken away from us, and we're constantly encountering parting of ways. We are constantly encountering heart-wrenching separations, and that is why when we arrive at home in heaven, we will be in unity and community. We will live in total contentment. We will be relieved from all anxiety and worries. Third blessing of heaven, no more tears. I had to chuckle on this one. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote the following. He said, life carries with it more pain than pleasure for many of God's children. He said, the most bitter tears are those shed inwardly or alone when no one else sees the agony of our spirits. He had not met me. I weep publicly, I weep privately. It makes no difference to me. But in heaven, all tears, how many? How many? All tears will be wiped away. For heaven spells an end to bitterness and frustration. Heaven ushers a life that is totally lived 
in the presence of our heavenly Father. Blessing number four, no more death. No more death. On earth, death is always lies in the future. If you're alive, and I'm assuming all of you are, <laughs> death is in the future, waiting for all of us, right? It's in the future, lies in the future. Even Christians cannot escape its shadow. But we must never, 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 I plead with you, must never be infected by this secular world fear of death. Never. For the believers in Jesus who can pray, my Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, to them death is not the end of life. It is the moving from the basement to the penthouse. Yeah. It is the moving from the tent to the mansion. It is the passport control desk. <laughs> it is the escalator that's going to take us upward. Once in heaven, death is vanquished. Once in heaven, death dies. Once in heaven, death is past, not future. Once in heaven, death has no power over us. Once in heaven, we are home, free from all danger. Praise God. Praise God. Give Him praise if you want it now. Happy for you to clap when I'm wiping my tears. Don't like clap in the middle of my talk, okay? Because I, I, I'm just so excited and I'm ready to levitate right now. I want to go to heaven. By the time I finish preparing this message, I, want, I said, Lord, I'm ready. Blessing number five. Number five. No more reg regrets. No more regrets. If you are anything like me, I pray that you're not, but if you are anything like me, I can tell you truthfully, I look back and I wish there's some words that I never said. There's some words I've said I wish I could take back, but I know I can't. Because here on earth, these words have consequences, and those consequences often cannot be controlled. These consequences is like a line of dominoes. You touch the first one and go tick, 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 and it has, it really can't be reset. Oh, but not in heaven. <laughs> Praise God, not in heaven. Arriving there, we turn the page. We turn the page on our unkind words. We turn the page in our selfish deeds. We turn the page in all of, our, uh, all of these things that we've said and we wish we didn't because God is going to expunge them and wipe them all away. Praise God. Blessing number six. No more separation. And I think that's what John the Revelator had in mind here when he talked about no sea because here he is isolated in the island of Potamos, and the sea, the Aegean Sea, separating him from his loved ones in Ephesus. No more separation. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul said, Now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Oh, my goodness. Here on earth, the pressures of life easily distract us. And that is why we need to fellowship with other believers. Listen to me. 
I thank God for you being here on church on Sunday. Don't stop. Come, come regularly. Come every Sunday. But there's got to be more than that. There's got to be fellowship, and we have plenty of opportunity. It will be home groups or Sunday morning groups or whatever groups are available. Seventy-two ministries going on in this place during the week. We must belong somewhere to another group of believers, whichever way we do it. Why? Because that way we can help each other by reminding each other of the coming eternity and the presence of God to help us remind each other uh, of how magnificent heaven is going to be, remind each other of the day that is coming when we have this glorious fellowship which we will go on and on and on for all of eternity. No more separation. Seventh blessing, no more scheduling. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Bible tells us in heaven, God is going to dispense with the sun and the moon because He's going to be the light. We will be freed from the enslavement, time and the clock and scheduling. We will be forever freed from endless meetings and appointments and deadlines. <laughs> we will not be dashing from one appointment to the other. We'll no longer be negotiating endless cycles of days and seasons in heaven. We will live an unharried life, and there in heaven be a time for everything. Blessing number eight. No more darkness. No more darkness. But listen, please listen carefully. Not only that our God will banish the darkness of night, but He will banish the darkness of misunderstanding. He will remove the darkness of anger and hurt. Sometimes other people's behavior mystifies us. Let me tell you something. Sometimes our own behavior mystifies us. <laughs> if you're truthful with yourself, we struggle to plumb the depths of our motives. I'm constantly examining my motives, and I always want to purify my motives before God. We are constantly struggling to plumb the depths of our motives and our understanding why we do this. But in heaven, thank God in heaven, we will not do that. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 he said, I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. All right, we come to the ninth. The ninth blessing. I left that to the end. No more disillusionment. No more disillusionment. Please listen to me. <laughs> One of the bugaboos of this life is experiencing on occasion, at least even those of us who now love Jesus, we experience it on occasion, the meaning, meaninglessness of life. You know what I'm talking about? You don't believe me? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> 
Solomon accomplished more than anybody ever. And then he comes in the end and says, vanity is vanity, all is vanity. Life is meaningless. Beloved, our best efforts, our loftiest achievements can leave us disappointed and disenchanted. Oh, yeah, we experience some moments on the mountaintop, and I thank God for these. <laughs> but most of the time, we spend months in the valleys. Oh, but not in heaven. <laughs> We're going to get off the treadmill. When I get on the treadmill, I'm still counting the time. I say, okay, I got 40 minutes, and, and, and I can't wait to finish. And I'm, this is the treadmill. I'm going to get off it completely. Life is no longer empty and meaningless. We will be busy reigning and ruling with Christ forever and ever and ever. Let me tell you this as I conclude. As I pray these words in my own personal prayer life as I follow the disciples' prayer. And as I pray those words, my daddy, who is in heaven, I don't only reflect on the magnificence of God parenting me like I showed you in the last message, not only is parenting me as my daddy, but I reflect on his headquarters, his headquarters, as the little girl said, which one day is going to be my headquarters. <laughs> so after that, I begin to pray, Father, while I cannot fully comprehend what it means for you to be in heaven, and yet you're so close to me, closer to me than my hands and feet, but then I begin to rejoice in this paradox. I begin to thank God for that paradox. I thank God that I don't understand it fully. Thank your Father that the day is coming when I will be with you because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. Thank you, Father, that while heaven is your headquarters, yet you rule the universe with precision. Thank you, Father, that when the world seems to be totally out of control, you in heaven in total control. Thank you, Father, that you rule the universe with precision that eludes our greatest human minds. Thank you, Father, with your unfathomable greatness. Yet you listen to me when I pray with your incomprehensible might and power. You lean over to hear me when I call upon you. Lord, may I bring a little bit of heaven to someone today who might be lonely or hurting someone who be discouraged, that I bring some little heaven to their lives. May I daily look forward to heaven. May heaven motivate my life's activities, all of them. May heaven be the place where I put all, all, how many? All, all my treasures, because that's the way I know where my heart is.
And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. Will you stand up and pray with me? Father, forgive us when we take our eyes of our destiny and we get distracted with the destination, when they get distracted with the journey. Father, I pray that our journey be motivated, that our journey be filled with the great thought of being with you in heaven for all of eternity. Father, empower us as we pray and use this framework, this blueprint, Lord Jesus, that you gave the disciples and you gave us, that we begin to experience a foretaste of heaven. For we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. The name for which all knees, those who are doing it rejoicingly and those who would do it begrudgingly, all knees will bow and all tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, Paul.